Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. It is a privilege to gather together here on a Sunday morning. We are in the middle of a new series, week two, of a series we're calling XOXO. Uh, and we're talking about relationships. We're talking about the experience of love and what the Bible has to say about biblical love. It seems apt in the season. Perhaps this weekend means different things for different people. Uh, I was talking about in conversation with a couple of you. For some of you, this is Valentine's weekend. And so you're just being reminded about that or... You're excited about it because you've already got plans. For others in the room, it is Super Bowl Sunday. And that has got you pumped and that you're ready to go. So whether you enjoy football or the snacks, as my wife would say, uh, she's all about the jalapeno poppers. And so she's excited about that in particular. I'm excited about the football game. And I, I think that's more than okay. So there's lots of different things going on this weekend. Uh, and I hope that you've got plans to enjoy and participate in whatever that looks like uh, in relationship, in community. And we're talking about that. Uh, we talked about last week the idea that simply love is a habit. It's something that we participate in. It's something that we intentionally go towards. We talked about this idea of the snowball, that 95% of our action is automatic. It's something that happens automatically in our everyday lives. Whereas about 5%, this snowball that exists at the top, is the intentionality of our lives. And the reality of the COVID season is that much of our automatic action has started to be void of relationship and community. And we've, we've kind of lost that natural approach to it. So we need a, a, a realignment of our intentionality and we need to make love more of a habit in our life. And, and so that's what we talked about a little bit last week. It's, it's been a beautiful weekend. I hope that some of you got to enjoy it last, um, yesterday. Uh, Adriana and I, we, we tried our very best to enjoy it. We always forget this, though. We, we're like, we're going to go for a walk. And so we went for a walk from uh, Derby Reach to Fort Langley. We always forget how long of a walk this is. Every corner seemed like we turned. We're like, oh, yeah, we're almost there. We're almost there. I think it was almost two hours later. Okay, we are here now. Um, the idea of going back is not particularly appeasing. Uh, so... I, I ran back because my pregnant wife is not so keen about another two-hour walk back. Fair enough. I wasn't too keen about it either, but you got to do what you got to do. That's part of relationship. It's part of community. It's part of doing things together. That was love in practice, I like to think, in that moment. doesn't matter how I was feeling all on that walk, but it was love in, in practice. Uh, let me read this passage of Scripture for you, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into this. Ephesians Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, and it says this. It says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, and that you may be able to discern what is best. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So I would like to contend, if, if love is a habit, then relationship is the practice. Relationship is the medium in which that habit can be played out. It can, it can, it can exist. And I think relationships are interesting entities. 
uh, romantic, friendship, familial, all of these relationships, they carry incredible weight. And, and there's this societal paradigm of, of finding the right person, right? It's the, it's the Jerry Maguire line, you, you complete me. Uh, of having someone in your life that, that falls in that category. And this can lead to like a messy set of relationships, wouldn't you say? Searching fulfillment for, for fulfillment in all the wrong places. But in any relationship, regardless of the weight it might carry, there is a need to know who we are within it. So to, to open up our talk today... Uh, we're going to talk about something, we're going to give it this technical term, and we're going to talk about this idea of cult, uh, Christian anthropology. That is to say, who we are in the presence of God, and the Christian understanding of relationships. So modern philosophical views are predicated on an opposite assumption to what we see in the Bible. Uh, particularly in the book of Genesis, God sees Adam and he says, we talked about this a little bit last week, it is not good that he was alone. Rather that we belong in community, we belong in relationship, we belong in society, we belong together. And this is a fundamental intuition of Christian anthropology, of biblical anthropology, that who we are in the presence of God uh, are people in relationship, to be in relationship with God. But modern philosophical views, they, they lean in another direction. They would rely on the opposite assumption. That we are dealing first and foremost with individuals. Even if we think of like political theories from guys like Thomas Hobbes and John Locke, people who, who crafted some of the uh, institutions of our Western culture, we begin with the individual and the rights of the individual. And the individuals, they, they, they eventually kind of come together in a somewhat artificial way to make a social contract. And by means of that contract, they have some kind of shared life. But that's not the dominant priority. That's not the dominant view. That's, that's the way that modern philosophy would seem to treat it. But the biblical approach doesn't begin with individuals and rights. It begins with community and with relationships. It begins with God, first of all, existing, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the very beginning, calling things into existence and saying that it is not good for us to be alone. There's a world of difference between starting with the individual and their rights and then going to the place of community and relationships as the foundation. I think our modern perspective has wired us to believe that our individuality and our individual rights are primary and, the primary, and this dominant view creates further division in our society. I'm not here to make a political statement, but regardless of what side you fall on and on a variety of issues, do you notice how often clamoring for your rights comes at the cost of relationships? Consistently, that conversation goes a little bit different than we intended or perhaps desired. Let's look at the very beginning. In, in, in Genesis, Adam, he has 
this responsibility given to him, to name all the animals, to, to, to have that as his primary responsibility. And he has all the different animals brought before him, and none of these animals uh, that are brought before Adam are construed as a proper partner. There's no, there's no disillusionment here. And we have to ask the question, why? Why is this connection not, not made? An adequate partner perhaps found in an animal. Well, because all of these animals, Adam is able to dominate, master, and catalog. If, if he's naming them, if he's putting them in categories, then he's expressing a sense of dominion over them. And, and that was his responsibility in that moment. But can you see that that's not suitable for someone to be Adam's partner? Why? Because they are not co-equal to him. What he needs is someone to respond into his intelligence and to his emotion and to his creativity and to his depth of personality. The opening play of the biblical story is a radical call to partnership and to co-equality. Adam says this. He says, at last this one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In other words, I found a co-equal partner. Ancient philosophy even recognized the gravity of equality, whether or not they applied it in all situations. Aristotle, he says this. He says, I can really only have friendship or relationship authentically with someone who is my co-equal, someone whose gaze meets my gaze, whose intelligence meets my intelligence, whose curiosity meets my curiosity, whose capacity for love meets my capacity for love. It's only with an equal that I can be friends or have relationships. So this is to set the platform very simply that if we are expecting to enter into a relationship with a posture of dominance, then friendship and relationship will never actually manifest. It won't be in a manner that is actually life-giving. We need to desire a relationship that is one of, of equality and of partnership. Not simply because we think that's the right thing, but that is the manner in which love is meant to be expressed and shared. The capacity of love that you have is meant to be shared with the capacity of love that someone else has to. Because isn't that what we, we crave and we desire? To share that love with one another? And when we do so, we are operating in our divine design. And this is where we find ourselves in our conversation today, considering love in relationships and considering our personal capacity for love and desiring to be in a relationship to experience another's capacity to love. Henry Nouwen, he says, dare to love and to be a real friend. The love you give and receive is a reality that will lead you closer and closer to God as well as those whom God has given you to love. It's a great quote. Now, uh, last week we talked a little bit about uh, singleness in the context and the breadth of relationships. This week we're taking a little step forward. We're talking a little bit about dating, and I think dating is interesting. It's a wonderful, frightening, confusing space to be in. Uh, I think it's glamorized, it's publicized, it's romanticized, it's weaponized. It's all those, all those different things. Dating, dating is difficult. Uh, 
I, I remember the first date that Adriana and I went on. We were at the Afghan kitchen, South Surrey, highly recommended. It was partially chosen because I had, I had to be of the opinion that uh, whoever I was going to do life with was going to enjoy more than just like simple cactus club. We got to expand our boundaries. So Afghan kitchen felt like just going for it right off the bat. And so we, we sat down for food, and it's always that, like, initial awkwardness. You know what I'm talking about? You show up, and this was, like, truly a blind date. We'd been set up by a couple pastor friends of ours in the area. And so we had never met before. Uh, we just had, like, a photo sent to us by each of us. And we're like, great. Like, well, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll meet up. And so we, we show up. It's a little bit awkward, but we're, we're trying to have conversation. And we, we order food, and the food shows up. And uh, this, was, this will be a moment I will tell our, our children about. It's like it's, it's one of the best moments of our, of our relationship to date. And it will be one that comes up again. So we, we get our food. Food arrives at the table. And uh, I, I feel this obligation. I'm like, she knows I'm a pastor. Um, I want to. I want to start. Uh, well, I had just revealed I was a pastor at that point, and then I was like, I want to start a relationship on the right foot. You know, you're trying to be super intentional. It's like, okay, I'm gonna pray. <laughs> so, so I I make that decision. I say, okay, you know, let's just pray for the food. Super casual. Super casual. Yeah, yeah. Let's pray. And uh, Adriana, in that moment reaches across the table. We have known each other for five, ten minutes at best. Reaches across the table to hold my hand while we pray. And her hand grazes against mine, and I pull my hand away. <laughs> and then we bowed our heads and prayed, and Adriana did not unbow her head after she said amen. She remained committed to her oh-so-holy stance. Uh, <laughs> And, and that was the beginning of the, the relationship in a lot of ways. Uh, and it broke the ice. It was, it was a funny moment. We laughed about it. She was incredibly embarrassed. She has all the justifications that you can think of, and she'll explain to them to you at length. Okay, she'll tell the real story in her mind. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've got the microphone, so we're good. This is the real story. And that was the beginning of the relationship. And, and that's, like, dating is, is, it's got moments like that. It's awkward, and, and, it's, and it's weird, and, and you're learning how to navigate relationship with one another and get to know one another, and, and you come in with so much expectation, isn't that fair to say, that, that we have this desire for real relationship. And even if we say, I don't really expect a ton out of it, if we're showing up <laughs> to, to meet someone in that scenario, there's a level of expectation that comes with it. And so there's messiness that comes when our expectations are perhaps met higher than we thought, unmet, maybe they, they grow within it. Dating is difficult. And especially within our modern context where it is in person, it is online, it is via apps, there's so many dynamics at play when it comes to dating. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that when we look at the Bible, it gives maybe not a playbook on dating, but a playbook on how we are to experience relationships. It wants, uh, I believe we have a good God that wants us to experience relationships where love actually flourishes. You, you are designed for love. You're designed for relationship. And that does not, not include <laughs> dating, even though dating can sometimes feel like that. that this, this mystical world where you're like, I don't even know how I 
I'm going to meet the right person. For, for context, like, uh, and I, we, we've been together now for just over, just under three years. Just under three years. And we can't imagine life apart at this point, but I didn't know her, so I couldn't imagine life together previously. It, it's it's this, this world in which we find ourselves in this, this awkward in-between. I think that there is an art to dating that we need to consider. And so... Uh, this is, this is for dating. I think this is just for relationships and for friendships and establishing healthy manners in which we approach the way that we are designed to be in relationship, to be in community. Uh, so first of all, I think the first art for us to consider is the art of curiosity. And we talked about it a little bit this morning in our team rally. I think that curiosity is often lost in the process of relationship. That far too often when we approach the idea of curiosity, curiosity is for the appeasement of our own answering of our own questions or for the appeasement of our own desires rather than actually desiring to get to know the other person. And, and here's the thing. For all the singles in the room or those who are di diving into relationships, you need to take the pressure off first and foremost. Coffee is not marriage. If, if you show up for a coffee, you are not making a full commitment at that point. Because even if you show up with that mentality that like, man, this is the one. We're going for coffee for the first time. It's not even a Starbucks. It's a big deal. Like it, it, it puts this expectation and this level of commitment on the relationship before it's even a relationship. It turns every statement into the most gra uh, gravity-inducing statement that we could possibly have. And we show up nervous and overwhelmed. And we don't even have the ability to have a properly formulated question because we're worried about how much we're sweating. Like, there's just so much going on. Coffee is not marriage. And it's okay to be curious of whether or not there's a possible relationship that you could have with someone. You can go for coffee, have it be a good coffee, and figure out that you're not meant to be dating. Nothing is wrong with that. You have to expand your, your, your paradigm of dating. And this is, this is a, a problem within our Christian communities where we place such a high pressure on it that we sometimes make it to this magnitude that we, we don't risk anything. There's never a proposition of coffee. There's never a proposition of getting to know someone else. And we miss those opportunities to actually maybe develop a friendship, let alone a, a dating relationship or, or, or a marriage. We are so crippled by the level of commitment that comes with the coffee. And then we, we accentuate the purpose of a relationship to be the fulfillment of our sense of of. of love of purpose of value that it it plays out in a really ugly way sometimes the art of curiosity hopefully can have you go into a conversation to simply desire to know another person made in the image of god there's just health in starting a friendship or a relationship by believing that the person you're talking to is worth talking to whether or not they actually provide something for your life. Because that is the posture of God. That's a posture of Christ. The art of curiosity is lost. And if you approach 
questions in a relationship, if you approach questions in a relationship for the purpose of self-satisfaction, you're not approaching it with curiosity, you're approaching it with manipulation. This is why I say it is an art. Because the intention behind it really does matter, and it will formulate the questions that you ask. And then let's take it one step further in our, in our dating culture. Dating is kind of, it's become a space to simply have a hookup. And it, and it makes sex the goal of dating. Sex is, I'm more convinced of this ever within the context of marriage, that sex is designed for marriage, for the purposes of, of, of enjoyment. Let's just say sex is great. Sex is sacred, and sex is from God. It's, it's a wonderful thing. But, but sex that is shown to us in the Bible is meant for the purposes of, of, of multiplication, of enjoyment, of unity. And it's, there's a protection that comes within relationship that is beautiful. That a dating relationship does not have that level of commitment or protection in as well. So often, what I discover in, in the Bible is that when the Bible is cautioning against something, it is for our betterment and protection. I, I've, I've heard it talked about it this way. When, when you are in a relationship, you start to establish these, these bonds between one another. Uh, you share a memory. You have a shared experience together, and it creates a string that you two hold. Uh, and then you... You go on a trip together. Oh, that's, that's another string. And you, you get to meet each other's parents, and that's another string. And all these different connection points, they, they begin to become strengthened because there's more of them. And the relationship becomes stronger. And then often what happens when, when sex is the goal within a relationship, it creates this string that is, it's like a, uh, a metal cord, something that is way stronger than what we're ready for in the relationship, but it establishes it right away. And what happens with a cord that is pulled very tightly, that is extremely thick, when it severs, there is a snapback. It hurts. It, it, the, it, there is this belief that sex can exist within dating relationships without any consequence to our emotional, mental health. And that is so far from the truth. I'm, I don't have to look even just to the Bible to that. We look at studies. We look at the, the, the reality of mental health, that the impact of physical intimacy without real commitment has immense impact upon who we are as human beings. Now, I'm not saying this with, with the purpose of guilt and shame. Uh, the beautiful thing about relationship with Jesus is that we are made new and whole every single day. But the call of the Bible to protect ourselves in these moments and to, and to not fall into to our lust is to protect our hearts that are meant for a love in, that Christ wants us to experience and discover. So we want to be well-versed in the art of curiosity, I would say. To desire to know the person and not just know if the person is right for you. 
1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. So learn to ask loving questions. And what is a loving question? When it is about the other person and not about you. The second art I would like us to consider is the art of boundaries. Uh, Human relationships, maybe you found this as well, can become extremely possessive really quickly. Uh, I think our hearts, they they really desire to be loved. And we're so inclined to cling to a person who offers us some sense of love or affection or friendship or care or support. And once we've seen or felt a hint of love, we want more of it. I think this explains why uh, lovers will often bicker with each other. Uh, You are never more vulnerable or exposed than you are in a relationship with, with your spouse or with a close, close friend. It hurts more when things are said. Lovers' quarrels are quarrels between people who want more of each other than they're often able or willing to give. I think it's very hard for love not to become possessive because our hearts, they actually look for perfect love. And no human is capable of that. Only God can offer perfect love. Therefore, the art of loving includes the art of boundaries. And the art of boundaries, I would say, is actually learning to give one another space. When we invade one another's space and don't allow others to be who they are, We can cause really great suffering in relationships. But when we give space to move and share our gifts, I think true intimacy becomes possible. Well, what what holds us back from actually engaging in relationship where we're giving one another space? When people show you their boundaries and they say, no, I, I can't do this for you or I need some space right now, what do you experience? What do you feel? Rejection. You feel rejected. And the fear of rejection is one of the most debilitating parts of of dating. Whether or not you dive into it, whether or not you're in it, it's one of the most debilitating parts of relationships. You are risking something and then having it pushed back at you. I think we experience uh, rejection in a lot of different ways. My, my first, like, greatest sense of rejection came out of university and not getting into medical school. That letter was real rejection. And, and it was devastating, and it was crippling, and, and it makes you question everything. And, and that's, that's on a vocational side of things. But on a relational side of things, it, it, it's tenfold. Even when, you're, even when you're younger and you're trying to figure things out. I remember there was a, a girl in junior high. I had no idea what was going on with this girl. I knew I liked her. I had friends that told me that she liked me. And so I would try and figure it out. And I would get, feel like rejected when she wouldn't like look at me in, in the class. Or uh, I would say something and she would only like give me like a two-word answer instead of like a full sentence. And you start to grab it. Everything starts getting weighed against one another. And the sense of rejection piles one after another. And especially if you've had one experience, it piles on another and another and another, and pretty soon you feel like everyone's rejecting you. And then you can't get into any relationship. And then you're not able to experience love as God designed you to experience, and you're saying nobody loves you. This is the, this is the spiral of rejection. But here, here's the, the, 
amazing truth that we can discover. I often believe that empathy leads to understanding. So part of understanding the boundaries that others put around themselves is learning to put boundaries up for yourself. You can't fully understand why someone is putting a boundary on perhaps their love for you in a relationship if you don't have healthy boundaries for yourself first. I think there's an intellectual assent that we all carry that we believe that boundaries are good, but boundaries are hard. Boundaries require conversations. Boundaries require a little bit of risk. Boundaries require the possibility of hurting someone that you might really desperately love and want to show love. And so we need to learn how to show boundaries for ourselves if we're going to understand the boundaries that others are showing towards us. And the third is this, and this is, this is what kind of ties it all together in my mind. The art of curiosity is one thing, the art of boundaries is another, and then the art of imitation is our foundation. Relational love is the essence of the Godhead given to humanity for its flourishing. That is to say we are designed for relationship. And this is what it means when we're saying the art of imitation. We are all imitating something in our lives, TV, parents, friends, propaganda. There is some kind of imitation that is manifesting in our relationships and it becomes the normal structure for it. We are designed for relationships. However, to fulfill our divine design is to function as you were created and operate in a manner that produces that desired outcome. And what's the desired outcome? That you might experience life and life to the fullest. John 10.10. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life to the fullest. And what, how do we even get to that point? Well, we look at what Paul it makes the invitation to us. And he does it multiple times in the scriptures. He says to imitate Christ to be imitators of Christ. He writes this in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Often I hear this language that when it comes to relationships, we need to have a Christ-centered relationship. And there's nothing in particular wrong with that. The problem that I've seen take place is that it gets construed or utilized as simply a shared commitment to practice. We're going to pray together. We're going to go to church together. We're going we're to read the Bible together. And that's what it means to be a Christ-centered relationship. When I, I would contend that to actually become imitators of Christ as individuals within the relationship is to have Christ at the center. That you are not to simply operate in a practice of sharing a relationship that has practices within it that are Christ-centered, but to be imitators of Christ. Perhaps we should be pursuing Christ-imitating relationships because it's in Jesus that we see how love can really be. And in Jesus, our capacity for love extends beyond our own being. Friendships or relationships, they'll, they'll endure in this measure. Aristotle, he talks about this from the context of, of country or of wisdom or of priority. But friendships or relationships... They will endure in the measure that two friends fall in love with a transcendent third. 
two friends falling in love with a transcendent third. And this is our invitation as followers of Jesus. That may our love in Christ become the foundation for our shared love together. The fulfillment of love, the fulfillment of life in a relationship is not nice words. It's not physical intimacy. It's not shared success. It is imitating Christ. And how do we offer this? Well, let's go back to the scripture. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? He gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does Christ show us that love needs to be imitated as? Self-sacrifice. To say that love is God is romantic idealism. But to say that God is love needs to sit as our ultimate truth. Love is not primarily an emotion, but it's an act of will. And when Jesus tells us to love our neighbor, he's not telling us to love them in the sense of responding to them with a cozy emotional feeling. On the contrary, he's telling us to love our neighbor in the sense of being willing to work for their well-being, even if it means sacrificing our own well-being in the end even if it means just leaving them alone and giving them some space. In Jesus' terms, we can love our neighbors without necessarily liking them. This, this is what it means to imitate Christ. That my love is for people is not predicated on me simply liking them or having all my boxes checked. That I can still be kind. I can still be generous in my words. I can still be self-sacrificing in all the ways that Christ invites me to be. Because I believe that that is the fruition of Christ's love in me. If I truly have experienced a revelation of who God is, this should impact every relationship I'm in. Not just the ones I enjoy being in. And so if we're going to enter into relationships like dating that are messy and controversial and, and just so full of emotion, we need to enter with the posture of how can I imitate Christ within this relationship? Because to imitate Christ is to show love as God desires for that person to be loved. You know, perhaps the most powerful part of a relationship is that you are given the privilege, the opportunity to show someone made in the image of God, a son or daughter of the king, the love that the king has for them. What an incredible privilege. This is why we need to be imitators of Christ, because I cannot do that on my own. I am far too self selfish. I'm far too self-serving. I'm far too insecure in those moments where I am new in a relationship. But when I can come to it with a posture of I know who my God is. I know the love that has been shown to me. And I know who they are and who they are seen as. Then I will do everything in my power. That even if I don't like them in the end of this, I am going to love them. Because I have learned the art of imitation.
to imitate Christ. When Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he didn't say, there, there, everything's going to be all right. He said, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? It says in Matthew 12, 34. And he said that to them because he loved them. It's just not always going to look the same way. This is what I'm trying to get at. Sometimes it's being kind and generous. Sometimes it's giving space. Sometimes it's speaking truth. But it is always trying to imitate Christ. But Christ is far more, far more differentiated in his approach than we give him credit. Jude, Jude verse 21 says, Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So this morning, I just want you to be reminded, first and foremost, relationships are messy. And we can, you're going to hear next week from uh, Neil Josephson. He's, he co-leads Family Life Canada with uh, his wife Cheryl. Amazing, amazing couple. Uh, marriage mentors for Adriana and I, just people we, we love and respect in this church community. And he's going to be able to speak really directly into some of the practicalities of, of marriage and of relationship. But at the foundation of it, we, we all come to this place where if we're not imitating Christ, then our relationships are going to be imitating another. Our, our brokenness, our, our failure, uh, our, our desire for, for self-fulfillment or pleasure. But to imitate Christ is to remember this. The question is not how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? Finally, the question is not how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? To truly be loved by God shapes our lives in a way that we could never imagine. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we just give you thanks for this morning, for the opportunity to, to come before you, to, to be challenged in your word, to consider how love through your lens might look differently in our relationships. For those in the room that are desiring reconciliation in a friendship or in a or in a familial relationship, I just pray that you would give them wisdom, give them strength to communicate the love that you desire for them, to be imitators of, of you. And for those possible new relationships that, are, that we're hoping for in this room or desiring, I just pray that you would just provide peace as we enter into it. Surround us with, with people to do life with, to hold us accountable in the midst of it. And let those relationships flourish if they are meant to be ones we pursue. Thank you for the wisdom that you provide in each of those. We pray for the art of curiosity to flourish in our community. The art of boundaries and for the art of imitation. To look more like you changes everything. I just pray that each of our hearts would have a revelation of your love as we learn to love those around us. And for those that we have in our life that we want to show how much we love them, give us just unique, creative,
demonstrations of that love that is focused on them and not on ourselves. Give us hearts of self-sacrifice in this room. May we look like you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.